0: Chapter twenty five of Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens This Librivox recording is in the public domain. CHAPTER twenty five Wherein History reverts to Mr. Fagin and Company While these things were passing in the country workhouse, Mr Fagin sat in the old den, the same from which Oliver had been removed by the girl, brooding over a dull, smoky fire. He held a pair of bellows upon his knee, with which he had apparently been endeavouring to rouse it into a more cheerful action, but he had fallen into deep thought, and with his arms folded on them, and his chin resting on his thumbs, fixed his eyes abstractedly upon the rusty bars. At a table behind him sat the artful Dodger, Master Charles Bates, and Mr. Chitling, all intent upon a game of whist, while the artful taking dummy against master bates and mr chitling the countenance of the first-named gentleman particularly intelligent at all times acquired a great additional interest from his close observance of the game and his attentive perusal of mr chitling's hand upon which from time to time as occasion served he bestowed a variety of earnest glances wisely regulating his own play By the result of his observations upon his neighbour's cards. It being a cold night, the dodger wore his hat, as indeed was often his custom within doors. He also sustained a clay pipe between his teeth, which he only removed for a brief space when he deemed it necessary to apply for refreshment to a quart-pot upon the table, which stood ready filled with gin and water for the accommodation of the company. Master Bates was also attentive to the play, but being of a more excitable nature than his accomplished friend, it was observable that he more frequently applied himself to the gin and water, and moreover indulged in many jests and irrelevant remarks, all highly unbecoming of a scientific rubber. Indeed, the artful, presuming upon their close attachment more than once, took occasion to reason gravely with his companion upon these improprieties all of which remonstrances Master Bates received in extremely good part, merely requesting his friend to be blowed or to similar kind, the happy application of which excited considerable admiration in the mind of Mr Chipney. It was remarkable that the latter gentleman and his partner were invariably lost, and that the circumstance, so far from angering Master Bates, appeared to afford him the highest amusement inasmuch as he laughed most uproariously at the end of every deal and protested that he had never seen such a jolly game in all his born days that's two doubles and a rub said mr chitney with a long face as he drew half a crown from his waistcoat pocket i never see such a feller as you jack you win everything even when with good cards charlie and i can't make nothing of em either the master or the manner of this remark which was made very ruefully delighted Charlie bates so much that his consequent shout of laughter roused the jew from his reverie and induced him to inquire what was the matter matter fagin cried Charlie. i wish you'd watched a play Dommy chitlin hasn't won a point and i went partners with him against the artful and dumb ay ay said the Jew with a grin which sufficiently demonstrated that he was at no loss to understand the reason try em again tom try em again no more of it for me thank ye fagin replied mr chitlin i've had enough that here dodger is such a run of luck there's no standing again him ha, my dear replied the Jew. you must get up very early in the morning to win against the dodger morning Said Charlie Bates, "You must put your boots on overnight, and have a telescope at each eye and an opera glass between your shoulders if you want to come over him." Mr. Dawkins received these handsome compliments with much philosophy, and offered to cut any gentleman in company for the first picture card at a shilling a time. Nobody accepting the challenge, and his pipe by this time being smoked out, he proceeded to amuse himself by sketching a ground plan of Newgate on the table with a piece of chalk, which had served him in lieu of counters, whistling meantime with peculiar shrillness. "'How precious dull you are, Tommy,' he said to the dodger, stopping short when there had been a long silence, and addressing Mr. Chitney. "'What do you think he's thinking of, Fagin?' "'How should I know, my dear?' replied the Jew, looking round as he plied the bellows. "'About his losses, maybe, or the little retirement in the country he's got left, eh? Is that it, my dear?' not a bit of it replied the dodger stopping the subject of discourse as mr chitling was about to reply what do you say Charlie?" i should say replied master bates with a grin that he was uncommon sweet upon betsy see how he's a-blushing oh my eye oh, here's a merry go rounder tommy chitling's in love oh fagin fagin what a spree thoroughly overpowered with the notion of mr chitling being the victim of the tender passion master bates threw himself back in his chair with such violence that he lost his balance and pitched over upon the floor where the accident abating nothing of his merriment he lay at full length until his laugh was over when he resumed his former position and began another laugh never mind him my dear said the jew winking at mr dawkins and giving master bates a reproving tap with the nozzle of the bellows Betsy's a fine girl. Stick up to her, Tom. Stick up to her. What I mean to say, Fagin, replied Mr. Chitling, very red in the face, it isn't anything to do with anybody here. No more it is, replied the Jew. Charlie will talk. Don't mind him, my dear. Don't mind him. Betsy's a fine girl. Do as she bids you, Tom. You'll make your fortune. So I do do as she bids me, replied Mr. Chitling. I shouldn't have been milled if I hadn't been for her advice. But it turned out a good job for you didn't it fagin that's what six weeks of it it must come some time or another and why not in the winter time When you don't want to go out and walk in so much eh fagin hard uh, to be sure my dear replied the jew you wouldn't mind it again tom would you asked the dodger winking upon charlie and the jew if bet was all right i mean to say that i shouldn't replied tom angrily there now I'll say as much as that, I should like to know, eh, Fagin? Nobody, my dear, replied the Jew, not a soul, Tom. I don't know one of them that would do it besides you. Not one of them, my dear. I might have got clear off if I'd split upon her, might not, Fagin, angrily pursued the poor half-witted dupe. A word for me would have done it, wouldn't it, Fagin? To be sure it would, my dear, replied the Jew. But I didn't blab, did I, Fagin? demanded tom pouring question upon question with great volubility no no to be sure replied the jew you were too stout-hearted for that a deal too stout my dear perhaps i was rejoined tom looking round and if i was what's the laugh at in that eh fagin the jew perceiving that mr chipling was considerably roused hastened to assure him that nobody was laughing and to prove the gravity of the company appealed to Master Bates, the principal offender, but unfortunately Charlie, in opening his mouth to reply that he was never more serious in his life, was unable to prevent the escape of such a violent roar that the abused Mr. Chitling, without any preliminary ceremonies, rushed across the room and aimed a blow at the offender, who, being skilful in evading pursuit, ducked to avoid it, and chose his time so well that it lighted on the chest of the merry old gentleman, had caused him to stagger to the wall where he stood panting for breath while mr chitling looked on in intense dismay hark cried the dodger at this moment i hear the tinkler catching up the light he crept softly upstairs the bell was rung again with some impatience while the party were in darkness after a short pause the dodger reappeared and whispered fagin mysteriously what cried the jew alone The Dodger nodded in the affirmative and shading the flame of the candle with his hand gave Charlie Bates a private intimation in dumb show that he had better not be funny just then. Having performed this friendly office he fixed his eyes on the Jew's face and awaited his directions. The old man bit his yellow fingers and meditated for some seconds his face working with agitation the while as if he dreaded something and feared to know the worst. At length he raised his head. Where is he? he asked. The Dodger pointed to the floor above and made a gesture as if to leave the room. Yes, said the Jew, answering the mute inquiry. Bring him down. Ush, quiet, Charlie, gently, Tom. Scarce, scarce. The brief direction to Charlie Bates and his recent antagonist was softly and immediately obeyed. There was no sound of their whereabouts, and the Dodger descended the stairs bearing the light in his hand, but followed by a man in a coarse smock-frock, who, after casting a hurried glance around the room, pulled off a large wrapper which had concealed the lower portion of his face, and disclosed, all haggard, unwashed and unshorn, the features of flash Toby crackit. "'How are you, Fagy?' said this worthy, nodding to the Jew. "'Pop that shawl away and my cast dodger, dodge so I may know where to find it when I cut.' That's the time of days. You'll be a fine young cracksman afore the old file now. With these words, he pulled up the smock-frock and winding it round his middle, drew a chair to the fire and placed his feet upon the hob. See there, fagy he said, pointing disconsolately to his top-boots. Not a drop of day and martin since you know when. Not a bubble of blacking by Jove. But don't look at me that way, man. It's all good time. I can't talk about business till I've eaten and drank. So produced a sustenance. Less of a quiet fill out for the first time these three days. The Jew motioned to the Dodger to place what eatables there were upon the table, and seating himself opposite the housebreaker, waited his leisure. To judge from appearances, Toby was by no means in a hurry to open the conversation. At first the Jew contented himself with patiently watching his countenance, as if to gain from its expression some clue to the intelligence he brought but in vain he looked tired and worn but there was the same complacent repose upon his features that they always wore and through dirt and beard and whisker there still shone unimpaired the self-satisfied smirk of toby then the jew in an agony of impatience watched every morsel he put into his mouth pacing up and down the room meanwhile in irrepressible excitement it was all of no use Toby continued to eat with the utmost outward indifference, until he could eat no more. Ordering the dodger out, he closed the door, mixed a glass of spirits and water, and composed himself for talking. First and foremost, Fagy, said Toby. Yes, yes, interposed the Jew, drawing up his chair. Mr. Crackett stopped to take a draught of spirits and water, and to declare that the gin was excellent and placing his feet against the low mantelpiece so as to bring his boots to about the level of his eye, he quietly resumed. First and foremost, Fagy,' said the housebreaker, "'how's Bill?' "'What?' screamed the Jew, starting from his seat. "'What? Well, you don't mean to say?' began Toby, turning pale. "'Mean!' cried the Jew, stamping furiously on the ground. "'Where are they, Sykes and the boy? Where are they? "'Where have they been? Where are they hiding?' why have they not been here the crack failed said toby faintly i know it replied the jew tearing a newspaper from his pocket and pointing to it what more they fired and hit the boy we cut over the fields at the back with him between us straight as a crow flies through edge and ditch they gave chase damn the whole country was awake and the dogs upon us the boy bill had him on his back and scudded like the wind we stopped to take him between us his head hung down and he was cold they were close upon our heels every man for himself and each from the gallows we parted company left the youngster lying in a ditch alive or dead that's all i know about him the jews stopped to hear no more but uttering a loud yell twining his hands in his hair rushed from the room and from the house End of chapter 25